Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you are with us today because we are kicking off a brand new series here at Mosaic. And really, our only concern about this series is that we're launching it on Memorial Day weekend. And we know that because of the holiday and people traveling and some people working in the entertainment industry, there will be a lot of people who need to hear this message, but they don't get to hear this message. But you're going to get to hear it because you chose to be here, so we're really glad about that. The title of the series is Endgame. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, th- this term is often used just to describe an epic game or kind of the final stages of a really important battle that is taking place. In fact, for most people, they think about this term and they're familiar with it on some level because of the Avengers movie that came out a few years ago. So I got to ask any Avengers fans in the house, come on, get those hands up. Like, all right, awesome. Hopefully you're even rocking like a t-shirt or something today that like says you're, you're a big Avengers fan. I don't know if you remember the movie. I'll take you back one earlier than Endgame to Infinity War, okay? So in this movie, Infinity War, this bad guy, Thanos, is basically going to destroy half of the human population if he gets these stones. And so he collects these stones over the course of the movie, snaps his fingers, and half of humanity instantly dies. And so in the next Avengers movie, like not only did half of humanity die, but like half of the Avengers died. And so there's a few Avengers that are left and they're going to rally together one last time in an attempt to defeat Thanos and then bring half of humanity back from the grave. And they called that Avengers movie Endgame because whatever happened in that battle would determine the way things would be once and for all. It was going to be final. Now, this term, Endgame, has actually been around way before any Avengers movie came out. Okay, In some ways, it's really associated with the game of chess, which is why we have all these chess pieces up here. Thanks to the city of Ocean Springs, there's a chess game that is actually down on Front Beach. And so if you ever want to go down there and play, you can play, but you're not playing this weekend and you're not playing next weekend because we have the pieces, okay? And so maybe sometime down the road later in the summer, you can access this game and you can go down there and play. But the game of chess is a really interesting game because in many ways, the game of chess is all about the end game, Okay, people who are great at the game of chess, they're always planning and they're always thinking about five moves ahead. In many ways, this game is all about the end game. People are strategically and intentionally thinking not about what's happening right now, but they're thinking about what is happening out in the future. And that's honestly a thought that I'm hoping to ingrain into your mind over the course of of this series. We don't just want to be thinking about our next move. We want to live all of life thinking about the end in mind. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the world today who are playing checkers rather than chess. Checkers is a completely different game. If you're playing checkers, you're kind of living in the moment. You're making one move at a time. 
You're trying to avoid trouble when you can. You're trying to capitalize on an opportunity when you see it. In checkers, you don't really have to think about the end game. You just kind of live in the moment and you make the best move that you can at any given time. And so I want you to think about your own life and the way you live your life on this earth. And I want to ask you this question. Are you playing chess or checkers? Are you thinking about the end game and you're planning five moves ahead or are you just kind of living in the moment, living for this weekend? It's Memorial Day weekend and these are all the plans that I have and you're really showing no regard for the future and you're certainly showing no regard for what the end of your life will actually look like. Because as you think about all of this, you need to know that the decisions that you make today, they will affect your life, your legacy, and your eternity tomorrow. And yet a lot of people, they can't live with that in mind, and so they lose sight of it. In fact, I think this isn't just the great challenge of our day. I think this has been the great challenge for humanity as long as we have been on the earth. You can go all the way back to like the first and second century. There was a Greek philosopher whose name was Epictetus. And he once said this. He said, this is our predicament. Over and over again, we lose sight of what is important and what isn't important. See, I think that's the challenge for so many of us. We struggle to really live with the end in mind. And because of that, we forget what's really important and we forget what really isn't all that important. And let me tell you something, that's a concept, that's a challenge for humanity even before the days of Epictetus, right? So in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Solomon who walked on the earth. Scripture says that apart from Jesus, he was the wisest man who ever lived on planet earth. He was so wise that people would come to him just to get his perspective, just to get his advice on critical issues in life. And he said this once, he said, death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this to heart. Now, I'm gonna tell you something today. It's gonna make you really, really glad you came to church. Are you ready for it? Okay, you're obviously not ready for it. Let me ask you that again. Are you ready for it? Okay. You're going to die, okay? Aren't you really glad you came to church today so that you could just get that encouraging word from your pastor? Yes, man, we are all going to die. And the wise man says, it's good for you to think about that every now and then. It's good for you to be aware of the fact that this life is not going to last forever. Scripture says that your life and that my life, it's like a vapor. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's something interesting about human beings compared to every other creature on the planet. Human beings are the only creatures on the planet who have a frontal lobe that is so developed that we actually understand that there is an end that is coming to our lives. We're the only creatures that God made who are aware of the fact that the day is coming when the game will be over. This is our glory. It's our curse. 
It's our warning and it's our opportunity. And so Paul talked about this when he wrote letters to the churches in the first century. And this is what he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed, really important word, about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So I just wonder, have you ever spent much time at all really thinking about what happens to you or what happens to a loved one after they die? The Apostle Paul is writing to this group of Christians in first century city, Thessalonica, and Paul is writing because he says, you people are completely and totally uninformed about what happens to a person at the end of their life. It wasn't even a thought that was really on their radar. Like so many of us, they're just kind of living for the moment, living for the here and the now, not really showing any regard for what would happen later or for the future. And so they haven't prepared themselves for it. They haven't even prepared their loved ones for it because they're not thinking about the end game. And let me tell you something, that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy to live your whole life thinking only about the here and the now and what is taking place on this earth. And here's what you need to know about tragedies. Tragedies always produce tragic results. And the Apostle Paul talks about the tragic result that they experience because of this. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have, wait for it, no hope. So I want you to think about those two words today. No hope. I listen to Paul as he's talking about what's happening in his world back in the first century. And he's saying, man, there are people who are grieving in terrible ways because they have no hope. And as I thought about that, I thought, yeah, that's probably very true for Paul and for people in his world and in his time. Like, like people probably had very little information about what would happen to a person after they died. Like Christianity was fairly new on the scene. People hadn't given a whole lot of thought to the future or to eternity or to the afterlife. And so as a result, Paul looks at them and he says, you're walking around and you have no hope as you deal with the reality of death and you see people who are slipping out of this life and into the next. But I want you to hear me say this. It is terrible to live your life and have no hope. But it's even worse to have false hope. In fact, I think there are a lot of people who are walking around the world today and they are holding on to false hope. I've been to a lot of funerals, probably more than anyone in the room. I've been to funerals of people who were Christians, followers of Jesus. I've been to funerals of people who were not followers of Jesus. I've been to funerals of some really good people, and I've been to some funerals of some really bad people. And every single funeral that I have ever been to, people in the room always seem to have some kind of hope. And so they come up to me and they say, I'm just at peace, Pastor, because I just, I just know deep down that he is in a, a better place. 
And it's an expression of the hope that they have. But as I've thought about their hope over the course of my life, I've realized that many people are holding on to false hope. And false hope is really no hope at all. So people who never recognize their need for Jesus, they show no interest in a relationship with God, they live like hell, and somehow end up in heaven. Listen to me, church. That's false hope. And the Apostle Paul would say, that's really no hope at all. And so Paul writes out of concern for what's happening in his world. He writes this letter in an attempt to get people thinking about the end game, to motivate people to start to live their life with the end in mind. Now, Paul does this and he writes to these people because he does not want them to be uninformed. I believe that God does not want you to be uninformed. And so Paul writes the letter in the first century. God preserves this letter from the first century so that all of us can move from being uninformed to being informed about what happens to you and what happens to your loved ones after they breathe their last breath here on this earth. You see, when you live with the end in mind, you start to see everything from a completely different perspective. When you're living with the end in mind, it changes your priorities in life. When you live with the end in mind, it changes the way that you think about people and the way that you talk about people and the way that you treat people. When you're living with the end in mind, it changes the decisions that you make and the way that you live and the way you think about morality. It changes the way you think about all of life. And I promise you this, it changes the way that you think about death. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to hear my friend Kevin, who is being forced right now to live his life with the end of his life in mind. Check out his story. Yeah, my name is Kevin Berry. Um, I'm 43 years old from Ocean Springs. This is my wife, Liz. We've been married for well, since 09, so 12 years. We've got a, uh, a son that's just finished in fourth grade, tomorrow actually. And uh, I've been a marine biologist here um, for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. so, We've been going to Mosaic for about 11 years yeah. now. So starting probably in February or early March, I started getting some weird, you know, tingling sensations in my right calf. It never went away and things seemed like they were moving. Um, numbness was starting to move in other areas of my leg and further up my leg. And so I decided we needed to go to the doctor and they ordered a, an MRI of my, my brain. That same day after the MRI was done, they, they had found something and they suggested I get a biopsy done. So I had the biopsy done and then we had to wait another two weeks to get the results from that. And in those two weeks, um, my symptoms uh, really took a nosedive where I've lost all use of my right side of my body for the most part. I I've had to stop being able to do my job. The results from the biopsy ended up being worse than what e even the neurosurgeons were, were expecting. It turns out that this is um, a grade four glioblastoma 
which basically is kind of like the worst news that you could get in this case. The diagnosis was maybe like 15 months or so, and there was still a possibility that I could be looking at weeks. And none of us, you know, we didn't know this was coming, but I, and, and I certainly don't want to mean it sounding like it was on a fast track or anything, but to, and we have come a long way. And I, and, I, and I believe that God was clearly preparing us for, for this, even though we had no clue that this is what we were being prepared for. We also started doing Bible studies as a family. Um, and then we moved on to books of the Bible. I mean, we went through the book of Matthew and, and this was a Bible study just, you know, with the family, just the three of us. But that became a regular thing for us. Because of all of that, I, um, those conversations, um, Jacob made the decision to, to, to become baptized, which obviously that's something that in my head, I always hoped that I would get a chance to do, not thinking that I would not have time down the road to do it. Just the fact that I would one day be able to get to baptize my son um, was always something that I would hope that I would get a chance to do. And obviously Liz was right there with with me while we did it. And I got to dunk, dunk him and, 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 um, and uh, yeah, it was such a proud moment. I mean, I'm sure the proudest moment I've ever had in terms of in, in, in a church in a church setting, I believe for sure. A lot of people don't get the opportunity and time that we're given. Um, as hard as it is to look at it that way sometimes, like I said, we've had several months of turmoil of trying to understand what's going on, but it's been several months that we have had to to spend time together and prepare for this that a lot of people don't get. Some A lot of people are gone in the blink of an eye. So I would just say, you know, for those that feel like they have so much time um, that, you know, the fact of it is, is God doesn't promise us a specific amount of time. If you're watching this video and, and you think that, you know, you do have, you have time to get things taken care of on your own time. I would just say that you can't, you can't just assume that you're going to have more time and that you can do things on your time. The time is now. I mean, there's no better time than now to to make these kind of spiritual decisions for your family, um, for yourself. If you're not a believer, you just, you've got to get to work, um, get right with him and, and lead a spiritual life for as long as you can. There's a real difference between no hope or false hope and real hope. Kevin and Liz have real hope, not because of anything that they have done, but because of what Jesus has done for them and every member of their family. So some people are forced to think about the end game or to live their life with the end in mind, like Kevin and Liz. But there are other people who aren't forced to think about the end game. They actually choose to live their life thinking about the end game. And that's really what Paul is calling the Christian community to do because he knows that it produces real hope. Not false hope, not no hope. It produces real hope. Now, before I read this next verse to you, 
I need to remind you that Paul is writing to people who are followers of Jesus and he is writing about their loved ones who have died who were followers of Jesus before they died. He is writing in an attempt to comfort them in their grief. He's reminding them that because of Jesus and their faith in Christ, that they are not like the rest of mankind who have no hope or who have false hope. And this is what he says to them in verse 14. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's who we are. That's the defining character trait of our life. We are believers in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so as Paul is writing to followers of Jesus about their loved ones who have died, who were followers of Jesus, he says a couple of different things. He says, I want you to know something. I want you to know that those people, they are with Jesus now. And then he adds that they are coming back with Jesus later. And so I want to walk through both of those thoughts with you this morning. Paul wants these Christians to know that their loved ones who have died, they are with Jesus now because they had faith in Jesus while they were on the earth. In fact, there are a number of passages where Paul communicates this really encouraging truth to the Christian community. You can look it up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says this, he says, It is my desire to be absent from this body so that I could be present with the Lord. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have a loved one who was a follower of Jesus, then to be absent from this body is to immediately be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not just something that we learned from the Apostle Paul. This is something that we also learned from Jesus himself. Okay, so Jesus is dying on the cross. He has a hardened criminal right beside him, who is being crucified and who is in the final moments, the final stages of his life. And that hardened criminal looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, would you have mercy on me? Would you be gracious toward me? And would you remember me when you establish your kingdom? And Jesus said to that man in Luke 23, verse 43, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Those who put their faith in Jesus while they are on the earth, they will be with Jesus for all eternity. But then Paul says that they're not just with Jesus now. He adds this other thought. He says they are coming back with Jesus later. So now what Paul is doing is he is writing to this church about what is commonly known as the second coming of Christ. Now, evangelicals throughout the world, we agree that Jesus came to the earth once and we agree that he is coming back again. Now, there are a lot of debate beyond that. A lot of people want to debate and disagree over when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like exactly when it happens. And you just need to know that anyone who thinks or pretends as though they know exactly what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ 
They're lying to you, okay? And you can tell them I said so, all right? Because we just don't really know all of the details and exactly what it's going to look like and when it's going to transpire, okay? And yet there are a lot of people walking around the world acting like they do know, okay? So let me just ask, anybody grow up in the 80s? You're kind of an 80s kid. Let me see your hands. Come on. All right. So big hair and bright colors, that defined that group right there, okay? And so they're growing up in the 80s. You may remember this book. There was a book that came out, and and I don't remember the exact title, but it was something like this. It was like 88 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 1988, okay? And, And so they put this book out. Some of you were like shaking your head like, I remember that book, right? And so they had 88 reasons that Jesus was coming back in 1988. And do you know what happened? Nothing happened, right? Okay, because they didn't know what they were really talking about. And yet that didn't stop them. So you know what they did next? They came out with another book called 89 Reasons That Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And guess what happened? Nothing happened because you don't really know when and you don't really know what is going to transpire, right, when it comes to the second coming of Christ. And yet, Paul says that I don't want you to be uninformed because that leads to no hope. So maybe we should have some information so that we can have some hope. See, that, that's what Liz and Kevin are holding on to. They have some information about the end game. They've read the book. They know how the story ends. They know the promises that Jesus has made to all who have put their faith in him. And so Paul gives us some information and we try to make sense of it. Verses 15 to 17. This is what he says. He said, according to the Lord's word, we tell you. So we're not getting this from our own minds. We're getting this from Jesus according to the Lord's word. So we're telling you that we who are still alive, who are left on this earth until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, A lot of people read that passage and their minds kind of start going to some of these end times movies that you've seen. And here are planes that are now plummeting out of the sky because the pilot was a Christian. And so he kind of gets sucked out of the cockpit and he's hanging out with Jesus in the clouds while the plane and all the passengers go hurling to their death, right? You think about these cars that are just cruising down the highway recklessly out of control because the person who was driving the car was a follower of Jesus and they just kind of get beamed up into the clouds so that they can join Jesus in the sky. You, you read that passage where it says that the dead in Christ will rise they're coming out of the grave and you're thinking like is this some kind of like zombie apocalypse kind of thing that's going on and you just need to know that is not at all what Paul is getting at that's not his point he does want you to have some knowledge about the end game because he knows that it will produce some hope in your life now in order to really make sense of the second coming of Jesus Christ we'll simplify it and just say it like this Whatever happened to Jesus will eventually happen to those who are followers of Jesus. 
So just think about what happened in Jesus' life. He's the prototype. So whatever happened to Jesus is going to happen to those who are followers of Jesus. So Jesus dies on the cross. He says to the hardened criminal beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so their spirit or their soul goes to be with Jesus in paradise or in a place called heaven. But what happened to the body? The body didn't go up. The body actually went in the ground, okay? And so the soul or the spirit goes into heaven. The bodies go into ground. And then after a period of time, in Jesus' case, it was only three days for you and for me. If you're followers of Jesus, it'll probably be a lot longer than that. But after a period of time, there is not just this spiritual resurrection there is going to be a physical bodily resurrection and Paul is writing and he says that that's not just what happened to Jesus that's what's happening to everyone who is a follower of Jesus so go back to verse 14 where he said God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep which is a euphemism for death who have fallen asleep or who have died in a relationship with Jesus. And so they died in a relationship with Jesus. Their soul or their spirit is with Jesus in heaven, but the spirit will come back with Jesus later. And then the text tells us in verse 16 that then there will be the physical bodily resurrection. The text actually says that the dead in Christ will rise first. They will come out of the grave and the physical body will meet the spiritual body in the sky and the totality of the resurrection will actually take place at that time. And then Paul adds this in verse 17. He says, then those of us who were left on the earth, we haven't died yet. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds and we will meet the Lord in the air. And then Paul gives what I believe is the most encouraging verse in the entire book. He adds, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And I cannot wait for that day. And it's that knowledge about the end game that Paul says it instills real hope, not false hope. In fact, in his letter to a guy named Titus, he calls it our blessed hope. He says this in Titus 2.13. He says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Christians don't live like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Instead, we have real hope because we know that this is not the end, that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for his people. But I want you to understand that this is not just about hope and something to do with the next life. This has real implications for the way that we live this life. It's that knowledge of the end game that motivates us and inspires us to make decisions and to live our lives with the end in mind. And so let me show you what I mean. In our study of First Thessalonians, we just finished a series where we were simply asking the question, what is God's will for my life? That, that was the title of the series. We're trying to figure out, like, what does God expect out of us, okay? And we studied a section in 1 Thessalonians 4 and another section in 1 Thessalonians 5. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said that it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you would be sanctified. Now, I told you in the series that all that word really means, even though it's a churchy religious term, it simply means 
that it's God's will for your life to know Jesus and to become like Jesus in every way. And that's the bookend, that's the passage that we read and studied and learned from right before the passage that we're in today. Okay? Then I ended the series by leapfrogging this passage that we're in, and I jumped over into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. And we read there that Paul said that it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus to be the kind of person who rejoices always, who prays continually, and who gives thanks in all circumstances. That's what God wants to see in your life. And that's the bookend on the backside of the passage that we're in today. And so in its proper context, the second coming of Jesus Christ is what is driving us to pursue God's will in all of these areas of our lives. And so for me, yes, I want to know Jesus now because I absolutely believe that everyone will spend forever somewhere. And those who know Jesus now will be with him later and we will meet him in the sky and we will be with our Lord Jesus forever. But listen, I don't just want to know him now. I want to be like him in every way that I possibly can because it makes me a better man and it makes me into the kind of man who can look at my life and say, my life actually mattered just like Jesus' life actually mattered when he was on the earth. I want to spend all the days of my life making sure that I am ready and making sure that as many people as possible are ready for the end game when the end game comes. But I don't want to stop there. I also want to be the kind of person who can rejoice always and who can give thanks in all circumstances. I want to be that kind of person. But how do you be that kind of person when your life is like Kevin's life or Liz's life? You can be that kind of person because you've been living with the end in mind. And you know that whatever happens in this world and whatever happens in your life, your eternal destiny has already been decided, not just for you, but for all of those that you love, that you have helped prepare for the end game. And that's what takes people from holding on to no hope or false hope to actually having real hope. Not because of anything that they have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. It allows them to be full of joy and full of thanks, regardless of what's happening in the world around them or regardless of what is happening in their own life. And so let me ask you this question. Are you living with the end in mind? Let me tell you something. Wise people understand that this is how you're supposed to live all the days of your life. I'm going to make a ridiculous comparison to make my point. But it takes me in many ways back to Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know what he says in the book? He says that really effective people, they have this habit in their life. And the habit that they have in their life is that they are always living life with the end 
in mind, right? They're not living just for today. They're not just thinking about what feels good now. Let's do it. He says that they really are thinking about the end game. They're thinking about life with the end in mind. And so I'll just say this. You cannot just think about what you want today. You've got to be living your life in light of where you want to be tomorrow. And this isn't just true in this business book. This is true spiritually. You cannot live your life just thinking about what you want today. You have to be thinking about where you want to be tomorrow. And where I want to be tomorrow is I want to be in the presence of Jesus. Because I know that the day is coming when Jesus is going to take everything that is wrong in this world and he is going to make it right again. I know that in the presence of Jesus, I am a far better man than I am when I am not in the presence of Jesus. I want to be in the presence of Jesus because I want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be in the presence of Jesus because Jesus offers a kind of peace to humanity that my spirit is absolutely craving. And so because of that, I live my life with the end in mind. And I hope you do too. As we were talking as a team this week, preparing for this message and praying over it and trying to get it right, Jacob said to me, he said, Brandon, everyone will want to know if these are the end days. But what they have to know is that these are their only days. These are the only days you have. And so my question for you is, are you ready? And are your loved ones ready? And if not, what are you waiting for? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I say this with absolute love, you're not ready. But you can get ready right now. I want to ask everyone in the room just to bow with me in a spirit of prayer. And I just want to say, if you are not in a relationship with Jesus, there is nothing magical or powerful about these words. But there is something life-changing. There is something powerful about your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to get ready right now, I just want you to pray this simple but life-changing prayer with me right where you sit. Just say, God, as much as I understand and as much as I know, I confess that I need Jesus. I haven't been thinking about the end game. I've been living for the here and the now. I need Jesus to forgive my sins. I need Jesus to be the leader of my life. I am genuinely sorry, God, for the wrong things that I have done. I want Jesus to lead my life so that I can live with the end in mind. Thank you that you're willing to forgive me. I accept that forgiveness and I surrender my life to you. And I pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.